Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Hey everyone, it's your buddy Mike Silva. Guess what? We have a sponsor for spring training. Support for the Talking Mets podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. There has to be one of you or a few of you in this audience that are included in that. And if you're not, let's get you on it. We have an exclusive offer for just my listeners. 20% off plus free shipping with the code TALKINGMETS, all one word, at manscaped.com. Now let's get to the show and talk Mets baseball. But before you do, go to manscaped.com, get your 20% off, get your product, and then you can listen. All right, let's get to Mets baseball. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 14th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the program here on uh, what really is finally feeling like spring. The clocks have moved forward. We had some beautiful weather here in New York in the 60-degree range. Baseball and opening day on the horizon, and uh, the long, cold winter is behind us. And uh, joining me in a little bit, we're going to, again, try to, uh, for one more week, get a little bit, if you want to say unorthodox, but... Larry Olmsted, New York Times bestselling author, has a book out called Fans, How Watching Sports Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Understanding. And one of the things I wanted to dive into with 
Larry is to understand how he came to that conclusion, because I can tell you there's been plenty of times that sports has probably ruined outings, has ruined weekends, has ruined uh, days, you know, anything you could imagine. And with fans potentially coming back into the stands, and look, Texas Rangers are going to be at capacity as of today for opening day. And I think you'll see more of that throughout the country and and, and creep up more and more as uh, spring turns into summer. Will there be a difference for teams? And if you remember, the Mets were one of the teams in 2019 that I felt, especially in the second half, fed off the city field energy, the city field crowd. A, A difficult ballpark for them to sometimes hit in. I mean, it's always been where the Mets seem to hit better on the road than they do at home. Uh, but with the fans and whatnot, I mean, who, who could forget the Nationals series uh, in August of that year where the fans really came out, a couple of dramatic wins, and right in the thick of uh, when the Mets were making that run and, and trying to do something special there in the second half. So Larry Olmstead, uh, New York Times bestselling author, will join me in just a little bit. Um, as we get and we uh, look under the hood at Port St. Lucie and the Grapefruit League, are you even allowed to call it the Grapefruit League anymore? Have they changed the name of that too? I know they, I know they got rid of the International League and the, the Pacific Coast League and all that stuff. Is it still called the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League? Did it offend anybody, those two terms? Anyway, I think it still is. I don't care what the, the standings are, but let's look a little under the hood before we get into this whole fan thing. And and I'll give you some of my observations from spring training. Had a chance to watch the game today. I know that there's been a lot of complaints uh, as I go on Twitter and, and read the comments about not all these games being televised. It looks like there's COVID protocols and whatnot. To be honest, it's very hard for me to get into a spring training game outside of looking at specific guys. I can't get the juices flowing. That's been me. That's always the way I've been when it comes to exhibition baseball I love baseball I love to see you know I was very curious uh to see David Peterson today because there's not tons of positional battles but that's one of the battles which is the the fifth spot or you want to say the four and five spot depending on how you look at it with uh, Carrasco uh, potentially not being ready we'll see and then of course Syndergaard being out till June uh so that's part of it uh so it was nice to see it but I can't get into it as much as I would like uh, definitely had a lot of fun watching that Luis Guillerme at bat in that wacky inning where the Mets scored five runs, and, and basically that's what put the game away. I don't get crazy about wins and losses. I do think it's important to play well. I mean, they're not hitting a hell of a lot, except for Pete Alonso, really, this spring. Uh, but it, more so when you get towards the latter half of the spring, when you get the regulars playing a little bit more than you know four or five innings, You'd like to see a more crisp baseball, and uh, and that's when I'll start to judge them. But look, opening day, you're 0-0. Zero zero. Does it matter if you win one game in spring training, 50, 15 games in spring training? You win the Grapefruit League, nobody remembers. I think the Kansas City Royals, before they won a World Series, uh, if I remember when they were bad for you know the, a couple of decades, they probably, I think they had one season where they, I just remember the Royals, they were tremendous in the Grapefruit League. So there you go. But when you look, and, and, and what I've been really looking at is where we are with the Mets. You have a few positional battles, mainly on the pitching side. I don't see any battles on the offensive side. Uh, offensively, not everybody's re- nobody's really hitting. Pete Alonso's been a big story. 
Um, you know, looks like he's changed his approach. He's definitely trying to take more pitches. He's definitely trying to go the other way. Uh, he looks great this spring, and, and that's a, a beautiful thing. You heard what I said, whether it be on this show, MLB Coffee, when I was on that show a couple of weeks ago. I think Pete Alonso is somewhere in between 2019 first half Pete Alonso and Pete Alonso of the pandemic season. Uh, I, I think you what you saw when he straightened himself out late last year was more of what you get out of Alonso. He's going to hit home runs. He's going to hit 250, 260. He's going to strike out a lot. How much better can he get? I think it depends on exactly uh, what you know has been talked about. Can he lay off the the breaking balls in the dirt? When you're seeing even in spring training, you're seeing pitchers bust them inside. You know, how is that going to impact him as he adjusts as the league continues to do the yin and the yang with Pete Alonso? Luis Guillerme on the offensive side getting a ton of attention for the great at bat, the 22 pitch at bat, classic at bat. I mean, if that was a regular season game, I think it would be talked about. Probably maybe all this year, maybe for years to come. Guillerme has always been a guy I've liked. He's a contact guy, has a good glove. Uh, you know, I said that if before they they went and got Lindor, that I was okay with them not getting any kind of hedge or bet on Andres Jimenez having a sophomore slump because I looked at Guillerme as that guy. And he's had tremendous numbers in part-time play since the second half of 2019. I'm not ready to say he should supplant J.D. Davis. I know that J.D. Davis gets no respect, I have to tell you. And I don't get it because the guy had a tremendous second half. He had a great 2019. He wasn't awful last year. He wasn't what you thought. But, I mean, there were people that wanted Mikel Franco, a below-league average hitter who had a, a you know 60-game decent performance last year in, in no man's land, Kansas City. There were those at the beginning of the week that wanted him, I saw on Twitter, for the Mets to sign Mikel Franco instead of J.D. Davis. I mean, it just boggles my mind. And I think Luis Guillerme is a nice bench piece. I think he could potentially sub in and be a guy that could get, uh, you know, be very adequate over two weeks. But I don't know if I see him as a 500 AB guy. I don't know if he has enough power to play a corner position. I think the role he's in right now, which is playing three positions, coming in for defense, pinch hitting, uh, I think it's fantastic. And you saw the effect his glove could have. As a matter of fact, David Peterson would have had a much worse outing today if not for the defense up the middle of Lindor and Guillerme in the first inning. And that's a big difference. I think you're going to see at various parts of a game the Mets have the ability with some of the guys they have on the roster to go offense-defense. And that's why I think I think your offensive side is pretty much done. I mean, you've got your lineup, your Nimmo, Conforto, Dom Smith, McNeil, J.D. Davis, Lindor, Alonzo McCann, there's your eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There you go. Your bench now that Jose Martinez is probably going to be out. And for a meniscus tear, I thought it was a little bit longer than I expected. He's an awful defensive player. I mean, you saw a small sample last week before he got hurt. He couldn't even catch a throw at first. To me, Martinez was signed with the thought of a DH being available. And then you hear that he's a guy that needs reps to really hit. So, you know, with the situation being that uh, he's not going to, he was going to be a bench player that's going to be asked to pinch it, maybe start on a, a one or two day a week uh, situation. It doesn't play any position well. I don't know how much of a fit he is. So that injury maybe is a bit fortuitous because now you got, I think the bench is set because the Mets are going to probably go with 13 hitters, 13 pitchers. That's the max of pitchers. I think you could go to 14 earlier in the year. I think uh, I'm still a little bit hazy on the rules. I know you could go to 14 in September. 
when uh, they could do the call-ups. But uh, you have Thomas Nito as the backup catcher, Guillerme, uh, kind of the utility guy around the infield, Almora, defensive center fielder, a guy who could also spell uh, Nimmo against uh, a tough lefty. Same thing with Pilar, who I think might uh, get a little bit more playing time because of his bat, and he could play left field too. And then you have Jonathan Villar, who not only could play all around the infield, on the left side of the infield, pretty much every position but first, but has a little outfield experience and, you know, a, a, a speed guy. Guy's got pop, guy's got speed. But from what I've been talking to those who have watched him, he's going to drive you nuts with the glove, just making reckless errors, sometimes plays out of control. Like, you know, the old Lonnie Smith, they used to say, the, the, the player from the Cardinals and the Royals in the 80s, they used to call him skates. I feel like, you know, VR to me is a guy that's all over the place on the field and whatnot. So, the Mets are going to score runs, short of injuries or something, some huge regression that we're not expecting. The Mets are going to score runs. Uh, you know, you saw that today. They could have a lot of crooked number innings. You're going to see this team against some bad pitching staffs put up four, five, six run innings, put the game away, and then hopefully their their pitching, which has been an issue over the last couple of years, especially the bullpen, will be able to you know do a much better job and what have you. Now, where does the positional battles come? We, you know, we're almost at St. Patrick's Day. That's the point where I know that everybody's starting to feel it. That's coming on Wednesday, St. Patty's Day, and you're starting to feel it. Um, the rotation has already got four guaranteed. Knock on wood health. You've got DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Taiwan Walker. I, I still think, and I said this last week, and I was very prophetic, very prophetic when it came out that Carrasco had some elbow soreness. Now I saw that the, our buddies over at Metfix, JB and his crew, was able they were able to go do some research, look at some years with the Indians that this is a common spring thing with Carrasco with elbow soreness. He usually works it out. He came out today, said I'm fine. I'm going to be able to make my uh, uh, my regular rotation start the first week of the season. Just keep in mind it's been a couple of years since this guy was able to pitch 200 innings, make 30 starts, had a serious injury. Uh, health issue with the cancer and you know he's a veteran so maybe there's some uh, you know foundation there that we don't have to worry about but I still think Marcus Stroman is going to be incredibly important incredibly important DeGrom looks dominant as ever and uh, you know Taiwan Walker we don't know that's a back of the rotation guy so that's where the first battle comes is this what are they going to do because let's assume the four spots are guaranteed Let's assume Carrasco is okay. So now you have the bubble, which is Yamamoto, Lucchese, Peterson. And right now, the question is, will they go with two of those three guys? Will one guy go to the bullpen as a swing guy and, uh, you know, potentially the other guy in the rotation? I don't see that. I think Mike Montgomery, and that goes into where the other battle is, he's going to be the guy short of... uh, you know, injury, or maybe there's something that they see on a backfield or they grade out his stuff as less than big league at this point in his career. I think he's kind of young, you know, he's 30 years old for it to be going that route. Uh, I see Montgomery as that guy. Uh, That's why I do not think whoever wins that fifth spot, again, I'm assuming that Carrasco is on the roster. I would not be surprised if Carrasco gets pushed back a little bit and he misses turn, maybe starts the middle of April. I would not be surprised at all about that. And then that would mean two of these three guys make a start. But you have Yamamoto, you got Lucchese, you got Peterson. And, uh, you know, right now it's hard to handicap it because all three come with potential issues. 
Peterson's a guy that had a nice season last year. Very hittable guy. Uh, didn't look great today, I have to tell you. Uh, he's a guy that in the best case scenario is going to be a five, six inning guy, get you, you know, two, three runs. He's not going to dominate, but he's got, he's got moxie. We saw that last year and you saw a little bit today. He battled, um, but he's, he's not a shoe in type of guy and he's got some options, he's got quite a few options. And that's going to play very big into this. Joey Lucchese, he's got the most experience of success. He's made 30 starts. He's had, you know, he's, he's won 10 games he pitched, of course, in Petco Park in San Diego, so that helped him. Uh, but he's a guy that, well, Glendon Rush was on the show, liked him a lot. So out of all the three guys, he's had the best history of success. So to me, he's he's the guy. He's the guy that I think that's his spot to lose because of the track record. Uh, but he also has uh, has uh, uh, options. They The one thing you heard about him is, you know, you get through the two times in the order— Third time around might be an issue. Maybe the second time around might be an issue. He's got that funky delivery. Maybe he's a bullpen spot. Maybe he can be what, you know, maybe Montgomery is the hedge the bet if Lucchese doesn't work in that role. Remember something. You throw these guys in a bullpen role, it's not easy. You know, sometimes the Mets, you know, they did it with Corey Oswald, maybe a little bit with Chris Flexen when before he went to Korea. You know, it's up, down, you know, bullpen rotation. Like, you have to know your player. You have to prepare them for their role. You have to understand what they're good at. And, uh, you know, it's like what I said on MLB Coffee. It's like, you know, I'm tapping you on the shoulder. Let's go do a show. You got three and a half, four or five minutes to go get ready. You know, you got to know what you're doing. And, and, and these guys are pros, and yeah, they should know how they're doing. Uh, but sometimes it's not as easy. It's easier said than done. Now, the guy to me that may have the best upside, because I've been reading a lot about him. And I'm perplexed about why Miami designated him. And I know they have a ton of pitching. I mean, that's what the—I don't know. I don't, I don't see all these guys. I know Kim Ning is is all gaga over the pitching. You, the, the, he, they, they've actually pitched quite well with—even uh, when they lost 100 games a couple of years ago, they were a team that didn't pitch poorly. Uh, so that, that's, that's definitely something they've done well. Maybe Yamamoto just doesn't fit uh, the depth chart there. Whatever. But here's a guy that was a uh, top 10 prospect in Milwaukee. He was part of the Yelich trade. He uh, was a top 10 prospect in Miami. And when I looked back to 2017, right before he was traded for Christian Yelich, who was a big-time player. I mean, he was the least likely guy to, uh, you know, in, in that trade. He was, the, he was the quiet dark horse. Nobody talked about him. But when you read up, and I went back to some of the reports about him in Milwaukee, they looked at him like a middle-of-the-rotation guy, worth two or three wins if you're, if you're into war. If you go to that uh, type of situation, that's like a Tanner Row arc. I mean, that's an Adam, a, a compromised, you know, back half of the career. Adam Wainwright gets you two and a half, two, two and a half wins. I mean, Rick Porcello is what you expected out of him. You probably would have taken that from Michael Walker last year. Middle of the rotation guy, and it's never really been in the big leagues, it appears, uh, that he's been knocked around. He just walked a lot of guys. And I know he didn't have a good year in the pandemic season and whatnot. Seems from what you know the reports are, he's got some personality. I see him on Twitter whatnot. Uh, but Yamamoto is interesting because that's the kind of sleeper move that you would hope this front office with Zach Scott uh, you know, Porter was gone by that time, but who knows how long they were working on that. 
you were hoping with the new analytics department, they bring in some big names from the Dodgers, and, and it looks like they're beefing that up all around, that these are the kind of acquisitions that will become more of the norm. You and I and I think again I'll go back to our friends over at Metfix. JB and the gang talked about the Mets pitching depth and where it ranks versus other teams, and they did some analysis with you know traditional stats as well as uh, WAR and whatnot. And it seems like the Mets rank pretty well, maybe even as high as the top ten, depending on how you look at it. But what's good about this is that when you have Yamamoto, Lucchese, Peterson, they're young. They profile their floor is that they could give you a five or six innings, two or three ones. I don't know if they're like the Walker Lockett or the Drew Gagneau. I mean, uh, there were so many guys. Uh, you know, if I go back, you know, I bring up baseball reference here over the last couple of years. And, you know, you look at the Mets, uh, some of the depth here. I mean, I'm going back, you know, Corey Oswalt, of course, last year. Uh, Rasmo Ramirez, he came out of the bullpen. He actually didn't do poorly. But these are over-the-hill guys. These are guys that are not really uh, giving you much. And then if you go uh, the year before, in um, 2019, uh, you know, uh, you know, you're looking at uh, who made starts. Wilmer Font, who wound up pitching pretty well in the American League. Uh, you know, guys like that. You know, Chris Flexen, who, who, who had a reemergence in Korea. Uh, you just don't see guys who had high upside, even in the best-case scenario, uh, high upside. You go back even further the year before, uh, you know, Drew Gagneau, uh, P.J. Conlon. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you guys that were just not guys that uh, were adequate depth for team, were a team that had playoff championship aspirations. Let's put it this way. So I think Yamamoto is the most interesting out of the three in some cases because he had that cachet as a prospect. But I think Lucchese gets it because I think he's done it before. Uh, you know, he's lefty. He has that funky delivery. And, and I, I just think that he's going it's, to, it's going to be him. And, and I think the fact that Peterson has options uh, plays into that, you know, as you know, but Yamamoto does too. I mean, it's not like they, let me check on that because I don't want to give you guys something here uh, that potentially is wrong. And uh, I'm pretty sure Yamamoto has uh, options. And, and look at this. I'm, I just had it up, and, and to me, it's uh, it's amazing. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go find it here. Um, but I think that uh, he has one option left. So this will be it for him this year. You want to use, you know, Peterson has multiple options. You want to use these options correctly, and, and I think that's the case. So I would not. My thing here was this. I would not put the loser of this competition, assuming Carrasco's in the rotation, I would not put them in the bullpen. I'd make them go to the AAA. I'd make them go to Syracuse. I'd keep them stretched out every fifth day, making your starts, because you're going to need them. I talked to a friend of mine in baseball over the weekend, and his point, and I told him, I said, you know, everybody keeps telling me, you keep reading at least, that it's not going to be a big deal, the pandemic season, just because some of these veteran starters pitch 50 innings, they could still do 180 to 200 innings, and he just didn't buy into it. He says, you're going to need depth. And right now the Mets have, when you bring Syndergaard back, uh, they have six, seven, eight. You know, They have decent guys. I think all those guys, in theory, can give you a decent start or two or more. Now, are they uh, options for 25 starts a year? I don't know. Lucchese's the only one that's done that. But I feel good about them. The more you read about them, and they've all pitched pretty well this spring. Peterson, not so much, but the other two guys. Ultimately, let's let's be clear here, everybody. Decisions are going to be made 
with eye, not our eyes, not on WPIX 11 or SNY. It's going to be on the backfields when they're watching, when their scouts are watching, when the coaches are watching, Jeremy Hefner, Louis Rojas, Ricky Bonus, so on and so forth. The brain trust is going to be making it on stuff, on analytics, uh, whatever kind of tools they're using when it comes to cameras and technology. It's not going to be on us going on baseball reference or MLB.com and looking at numbers. It's going to be about what they feel these guys could produce based on the process, their pitching process. So whatever I say, whatever you think, we're just speculating. You know, everybody, you know what they say about opinions. Everybody's got, you know, you know what. Um, but I think we're, I think we're, we got some good educated guesses here based on the information that we do know that does come out through what is really, let's face it, a compromised media that's doing everything through Zoom. They're not getting down on the fields in the same way. So we can't even talk to our buddies in the media. We have to really do our own deduction with the information that's in front of them. Now, the bullpen's a little bit of a different thing because obviously, again, Lugo is the Cindergard version of the bullpen where he's going to be out. He's probably going to be back sooner. I predict he'll be closer to May 1st than June 1st, but you never know. Right now, there's six guaranteed spots. Diaz, May, Castro, Loop, Familia, Batances, they're in. They're not going anywhere. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. They're all going in. So now between whoever wins that fifth spot and the six, you got 11. You got two spots left to get up to 13. So I see it as Gazelman, Barnes, Drew Smith, Montgomery, and Hunter. Both of those guys are non-roster invitees. I don't know what their contracts indicate, whether they have till June 1st, May 1st. Some of these contracts, when you're on a non-roster invitee, they may let you opt out in another week to 10 days because you feel you're not going to make the roster. They want to hightail out of there and go to a team and maybe get a job. You'll start to see. There'll be action for those guys in the next two weeks because they need to know. Because I know for a fact some some of these guys right in you know March 25th. Now, it might be a little bit different with COVID and all the stuff that's been going on. Maybe the team had a little bit more uh, uh, say and a little more leverage. But I got to think Montgomery and Hunter are going to know soon. I think Montgomery makes it. Lefty, swing guy, experience, pitch big uh, baseball in Chicago. I think he makes it. So that leaves you with Gazelman, Barnes, Drew Smith, Tommy Hunter. Now, Drew Smith has options and has potential. He's a homegrown homegrown guy. Uh, I don't particularly care for Barnes. I, I don't know. You know, to me, again, a guy who throws hard, walks the ballpark, uh, does nothing for me. Uh, he really does nothing for me at that at that point. Um, you know, does Barnes have? I mean, the thing is, actually, yeah, they have Barnes. Uh, Fangrass actually has Barnes higher up on the depth chart here. Uh, they actually have him making the team. He has no options left. Uh, maybe that gives him a, uh, a shot to make it out of uh, camp into April. But I just because you know. You, you, if there's something there, you want to make sure you give him a shot in regular action. Maybe that's what'll save him. Uh, Gazelman does have a couple of options, and he's less than five years of the big league, so he he can go down. I'll tell you what, Gazelman to me has always been like one of the biggest disappointments uh, out of all the pitchers in the last few years because he was so big, and I've said this before down the stretch in spring tra- uh, in 2016, better than Lugo. I mean, he he did his. I mean, they lost Harvey, they lost DeGrom, and they survived because of Lugo and Gazelman. And Gazelman really particularly pitched well. 
So he's always been a disappointment. I thought at the very least he could be a number three middle of the rotation guy. He has been anything but that. He's been mediocre in both of his roles in either the bullpen. Now, I know he had the sports hernia. Maybe some of those are injuries. But if he's got options, you know, the way I see it, you could possibly get a Barnes on the roster to get a look. And I hate when guys get spots, not because they earn it, because of the economics of the game with the options. But to me, he's Jacob Barnes was a guy picked off the, the scrap heap in October in the middle of the postseason when Brody Van Wagenen was still the GM. And he's got a live arm. And maybe they see some stuff with spin rate and what have you. But that's what I'm saying. They have the numbers on the backfield. They have the cameras. They got the data. I don't. All I see is baseball reference and what this guy profiles as. And he's not my cup of tea, but I'm not making the final decision. I think Montgomery makes it. I wouldn't be surprised if Barnes is the other guy until Lugo comes back because of the option situation. I hope it'd be more like Drew Smith. I do not want uh, the loser of the Yamamoto, Lucchese Peterson Derby to go to the bullpen. I want them making starts in Syracuse. Stinks for them because I know they'd rather be in the big leagues. But from a baseball standpoint, that's where they need to be. And let's face it, all things all things being equal, hopefully they make speedy recoveries. Lugo will be back, so Barnes might be out anyway in a short span of time. Uh, Syndergaard will be back. And then you, know, then you have a real decision because now Lucchese or Yamamoto or Peterson might have to go to the bullpen. Or you might have the three of them down in Syracuse making turns. And they never get a shot because, let's face it, the actual rotation that you were hope, or everybody hopes comes out of this and pitches well is DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Walker, Syndergaard, pretty good, and may very well be just as good as the second half of 2019 rotation that was uh, only the Astros were better than the Mets in the second half in starting pitching in 2019. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we return, we're going to get a little bit into the fans coming back. We're crossing our fingers we're seeing some good things out there. Fans are creeping back. We saw them in Port St. Lucie uh, throughout spring training. Texas Rangers, I know that's Texas, is going to have a full ballpark. I don't anticipate City Field being packed to the gills, but Steve Cohen did say on Twitter there will be fans in City Field in 2021. So what does that impact? I'm curious about that. I, I found an interesting article. And then we'll have Larry Olmstead from the book Fans, How Watching Sports Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Understanding. He'll be joining us in just a little bit. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with more right after this. All right, Mets fans, is there anything better than the fresh mowed grass at the ballpark on opening day? Only a couple weeks away. How about freshly groomed balls? Our sponsors at Manscaped, the global leader in below-the-waist grooming, are here to help you strike out your bush for good. It's a whole new balls game, folks, and Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Come on, we want the Talking Mets podcast and our crew here to join the movement. I have. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TALKINGMETS, all one word, no G, at manscaped.com. I'm telling you, these products are no joke. So easy to use, and I have all the confidence in the world with the best tools for the job at Manscaped. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hail trimmer ever created, the lawnmower. I have one. I used it. Cannot say enough. Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Because of their ceramic blade and advanced skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced with a close shave. The Lawnmower 3.0 is simply the best hygiene tool for the modern man. You need to look good to watch that Mets game. And then, you know what? Go out on a date after. 
It all hits all the sweet spots. Just like when Pete Alonso hits one out of the park, guys, it hits all the sweet spots in every way. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with a crop preserver and the crop reviver. It's time to keep your testes fresh and clean. The crop preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant to keep your balls from sticking from to your legs from end to end. Jeez, I got that one screwed up. What a curveball from the norm. Nice curveball, uh, just like uh, Marcus Stroman when you're at the ball game. This stuff is legit. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing alloy and witch hazel ex- extracts that will give your balls a boost. I, I really fumbled that one. So, you know, you guys could go to manscaped.com and check that out. Manscaped even threw in their shed travel bag to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. Speaking of comfort, the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs are also included and will bring your boxer game to the next level. Complete your top-to-bottom grooming game with a new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that it's all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Talk about the ultimate utility, man. Liska Yorme would be proud. Manscaped is like the Jacob deGrom, the Pete Alonzo, whatever, of ball trimmers. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TALKINGMETS at manscaped.com. Hit one out of the park this season. Name whichever Met. They all hit home runs. Conforto, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo, J.D. Davis. Hit one out of the park with the Manscaped Perfect, Perfect Package 3.0. Get tw- Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code TALKINGMETS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TALKINGMETS, no G. Mets baseball's back. Don't let your pubes get out of whack. All right, we're back. So fans back in the stands. We haven't had any fans in City Field since 2019. As I said earlier in the program, I I thought especially in the second half, I mean, the Mets fans did a tremendous job at City Field. And I wonder if losing something like losing the ability to go to a baseball game and enjoy yourself and have these outings and losing it for well over a year. I wonder if that brings a different appreciation, a different focus and a different level of enthusiasm to the ballpark. I let's face it as uh, you know there've been times and it's not just City Field, especially Yankee Stadium, any ballpark throughout the United States, North America with the Blue Jays. You would see these very lackluster crowds, people on their s- smartphones, uh, more of a focus on going and getting a, a burger at Shake Shack than maybe the game and the team. And sometimes City Field was like a mausoleum. I mean, even before they moved the, the fences in, there were times I was like, crowd's dead. Now that part and parcel, I think, I, I, it's not rocket science here. I think the ownership situation drained everybody. I think the negativity from the media drains everybody. And I think having this new uh, lease on life with a new owner, that in and of itself will bring the energy level and the enthusiasm and the feeling that there is opportunity. The Mets can go out and continue to be competitive and compete and win. And and they're going to have to rebuild again. And they're going to have bad seasons again. And they're not going to win 100 games under Steve Cohen for the rest of in perpetuity. This is baseball. Nobody does that. Dodgers are going to have bad seasons too. Yankees are going to have bad seasons too. Maybe a bad season for those guys has been, you know, 85 wins. But look, it's coming. You can't avoid losing seasons. It eventually happens. Everybody gets a clunker. Uh, money 
does disguise all of it. But I wonder if that is you know, the fact that you have something that's been taken away and is now given back to you, hopefully sooner rather than later, is going to play a big part in better crowds, energetic crowds, a good home field advantage. I also was wondering, and I came across this article on the AP, at the AP. Uh, let me give the writer credit. Tim Reynolds. Now, he's he specifically I'm back on February 2nd, so we're looking at well over a month ago. Uh, and I could do the calculations myself. I just didn't have the time. But this, you get the point. Uh, the trend, and I, this was to be obvious, in the NBA, an ultimate home court advantage league. The NBA has slowly evened out home road where you used to win 60-plus percent of your games. The home team would win 60-plus percent of their games. Now, pandemic, no crowds, they're down to 51 or 52-ish in that ballpark. But that was the trend. The trend was going down for a while. So I don't know if there's something changing uh, in the NBA. Maybe it's the, uh, the, the, the situation where teams are more evenly built. Maybe it's tanking. There's a lot of analysis that has to go into that. What was interesting that no fans, the NFL, and you could take out the 49ers on a neutral field because they couldn't play at all at times in uh, California. Uh, they actually were slightly above 500 home teams, but below if you put the, the 49ers at neutral site losses, below. But in baseball and the NHL, the opposite happened. So baseball had like the highest home winning percentage last year, like 55, 56% of the, the, the games the home team won in the last 10 years. Now, in all the sports, you would think baseball would have the most home field advantage because of the last at-bat. But, you know, to me, it's the worst because all those other sports, I think the crowds, I mean, whether it be Montreal in the NHL, uh, Oklahoma City, places like that in the NBA. I mean, when the Knicks are good, the Garden's a tough place to play. The old Chicago Stadium or the United Center with the old Bulls teams. NFL, I mean, let's face it, How think about how... Uh, iconic it is for Eli Manning to go into Green Bay not once but twice and beat the Packers. I mean, in that great home field. Um, you know, New England's been a tough place to play. Go on and on. I could name a ton of places that, that are tough to play. Uh, but it's it's changing where baseball's the sport where it seems to be happening. Now, I almost think it's being robbed from the home team by this whole starting extra innings with a runner on second base. Because in a way, you get through nine innings, then the visiting team has the chance to really manufacture the run and puts the home team on their heels. If they really want to keep this stupid rule, which hopefully they won't after this year, uh, make it the bottom of the 10th at least. Give the home team the first crack at manufacturing the run. Give home field advantage some meaning. The sport never could do anything right. They never could do anything right. But I I don't know how... It's so much deeper. And look, Larry Olmstead is not going to get deep into that kind of stuff. I mean, that's not the point of the piece. The point of this piece of bringing him in is being a fan is a good thing. It's a good thing for you in your life. You can learn a lot. I think I've learned a lot from sports um, that I could, you know, things from from team building, uh, uh, you know, teams coming together, coaching, philosophies. There's so many things you could bring to your personal life and business and family or whatever. It, you just got to look. It's right in front of you. Now, you're there to be entertained, not to have a, a, a business school lesson, but it's there. And I think Larry is going to talk a little bit about that and, and what he learned over the course of writing this book. Writing this book in the midst of a pandemic when this was taken away from us. Going to a stadium, going to a ballpark was taken away from us. 
So the numbers indicate that baseball actually saw an increase in home field advantage without fans. I don't know if any of this means anything. The other sports saw a decrease. NFL, NBA, NHL not so much. So maybe baseball and, and, and the NHL are a little different. Um, but we'll get into this and we'll talk about this. And look, I think this is going to be one of the stories. When will the fans be back? How many will be let in? And what kind of impact will they have? What kind of crowds? Because nothing is really worse. Now, there's one thing with empty stadiums with music being piped in and fake noise. But when they're going to take that away and just put a sparse crowd, sometimes those are depressing type of situations. I mean, think about September crowds that are sparse for a team that's out of the pennant race. How depressing are some of those baseball stadiums sometimes? That could be the norm for a lot of cities because of local ordinances, COVID protocols, and whatnot in the heat of a pennant race. So what kind of impact will those fans have? You know, whether it be 10% capacity, 5% capacity, X number of people allowed, we don't know. Every municipality is going to be different, and I think it's going to be at least three months before you see everybody kind of get to a place where they feel comfortable putting people in uh and gatherings of some sort. So, all right, let's take a quick break. Larry Olmsted, author of Fans, How Watching Sports Makes Us Happier, Healthier, More Understanding. He'll be with us to talk about that topic and more right after this. All right, Mets fans, is there anything better than the fresh mowed grass at the ballpark on opening day? Only a couple of weeks away. How about freshly groomed balls? Our sponsors at Manscaped, the global leader in below-the-waist grooming, are here to help you strike out your bush for good. It's a whole new balls game, folks, and Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Come on, we want the Talking Mets podcast and our crew here to join the movement. I have. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TALKINGMETS, all one word, no G, at manscaped.com. I'm telling you, these products are no joke. So easy to use, and I have all the confidence in the world with the best tools for the job at Manscaped. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hail trimmer ever created, the lawnmower. I have one. I used it. Cannot say enough. Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Because of their ceramic blade and advanced skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced with a close shave. The Lawnmower 3.0 is simply the best hygiene tool for the modern man. You need to look good to watch that Mets game. And then, you know what? Go out on a date after. It all hits all the sweet spots. Just like when Pete Alonso hits one out of the park, guys. It hits all the sweet spots in every way. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with a crop preserver and the crop reviver. It's time to keep your testes fresh and clean. The crop preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant to keep your balls from sticking from to your legs from end to end. Jeez, I got that one screwed up. What a curveball from the norm. Nice curveball, uh, just like uh, Marcus Stroman when you're at the ball game. This stuff is legit. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing alloy and witch hazel extracts that will give your balls a boost. I, I really fumbled that one. So, you know, you guys could go to manscaped.com and check that out. Manscaped even threw in their shed travel bag to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. Speaking of comfort... The Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs are also included and will bring your boxer game to the next level. Complete your top-to-bottom grooming game with a new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that it's all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. 
Talk about the ultimate utility man. Liske Yorme would be proud. Manscaped is like the Jacob deGrom, the Pete Alonzo, whatever of ball trimmers. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TALKINGMETS at manscaped.com. Hit one out of the park this season. Name whichever Met. They all hit home runs. Conforto, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo, J.D. Davis. Hit one out of the park with the Manscaped Perfect, Perfect Package 3.0. Get tw- Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code TALKINGMETS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TALKINGMETS, no G. Mets baseball's back. Don't let your pubes get out of whack. We're back and joining me, uh, best-selling author, has a great book. Have it right here. Larry Olmsted. The book is Fans, How Watching Sports Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Understanding. Look, this is a Mets-related show. I'm a Mets fan. I'm a big-time sports fan. I could debate a lot of those things because I've been many things and sometimes not understanding is that. But, Larry, welcome to the program. And uh, what an interesting topic. Fans, who would have thought you could write a book and really dive into this thing on many levels? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really happy to be here because, you know, I've been talking to sports people all over the country, but I grew up in Queens and went to my first wow. games at Shea. So uh, near and wow. dear. Sorry. Um, That's great. So, yeah, I mean, when you it's it's you, you, people have been surprised that there's a book here, but I look at it as, you know, in the world of spectator sports, ninety nine point nine percent of the participants are spectators. Right. Compared to professional athletes. But every book is about the athletes, the teams, the championship seasons. Very little has been done on the fans. And we're talking, you know, 200 million people in this country, a couple of billion people around the world. So I think it's time they got they got the attention they deserve. What's interesting is that as a young sports fan, you know, all the things you learn in college through management, economics, everything, I look back and sports, because it was a love of mine, I was always able to connect it even more so now think about economically, how kids in school could, you know, statistics class, economics classes, some of my, you know, look, one of my idols was Pat Riley as a young sports Mm -hmm. fan, a coach, so many management lessons you could learn from Riley wrote a book about it. It's interesting that you know, you don't look at that. Your parents don't look at that as a kid. You know, turn the game off, go do your studies. But now, especially with all the information out there, and I'm wondering if you dived a little bit into that, sports could really help you learn and develop as an individual in your most formidable years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a really good point that a lot of people haven't really noticed. So uh, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, when I would go with my dad to Shea, you know, he'd get the program. He taught me how to score by hand. And, you know, I feel like that really helped me educationally, but that was, you know, before Moneyball and Sabermetrics and, you know, uh, sports has gotten a lot more complex. And I mean, I just, like a lot of people in this country during the pandemic, I watched that last dance uh, uh, documentary and I could never really understand the triangle offense until I saw them diagram it on the, on the whiteboard there, Uh, everything, NFL defenses and, and formations, substitutions. And now you know, with the advent of, of sports talk radio and everything, you know, people want to be able to call in and critique the and second guess the, the managers. But to do that, you have to know what you're talking about. And to be a sports fan and know what you're talking about requires a certain, it's an intellectual exercise. And I think it's definitely beneficial uh, for education. I've heard a number of people say what you said, that they could relate it to things in school or in learning that maybe there wasn't another pathway to. I talked to Len Berman, the longtime broadcaster one time, and he made a great point 
that he thought, because in the way he did his, his broadcast as a news anchor, majority of fans are casual fans. They, they don't want to get into the weeds like maybe what this, this program does. And I thought about that, and I agree with that. But I'm listening to you, and I'm saying to myself, is it harder now because of the way the sport is that diving into it casually, it may not be as easy because there's so much information being thrown at you. There's so much of the economics. The players are changing more frequently um, is that there's something to that where it's harder to be a casual fan in today's environment? I don't think so because the, the, the broadcasts have also gotten a lot better about providing information. There's a lot more stats. Um, I mean, I know I, I've spent a lot of time in the last two decades traveling. So I'll watch, you know, a little bit of a game in the airport, in the airport bar or in the waiting area. And now I know I can look up you know, at a baseball game, even if the sound isn't on and tell how many strike, how many outs, where the runners are, you know, all of that information is displayed graphically and it's across all sports that way has really improved in a way that, you know, kind of makes it easier to, to take in the information while you're watching the game. So the game is more complex, but the way they present it is, is more user-friendly. Larry Olmstead, the book is fans, how watching sports makes us happier, healthier, and more understanding I got to make sure my wife uh, sees this because that's the ultimate thing, you know, sports, especially doing at the level that, you know, this show does. And, and I'm a hardcore Mets Knicks fan, you know, growing up and you ha- it's a commitment and you have to balance a lot. Um, what do you say to those who, um, you know, sometimes have been told by their parents or their spouses, you know, what are you wasting your time? I mean, you're look, you grew up in Queens, you're a Mets fan. You know how many weekends have been ruined because the Mets blew a save, you know? Uh, how horrible you feel after a playoff loss. I mean, there have been times where I'm sure we we've questioned, like, you know, why am I doing this? Why there are times you have to get away from the game, you know, and say, I don't want to hear about it, but it's so hard now because of this thing, the smartphone, right? So what do you say? Is it is it all that healthy? Are we oh, engaging in this? And obviously there's excess and everything, but engaging this, is this really making us better? you know, the disappointment, the failure, some of the frustrations that come from it? Well, I think, like you said, there's definitely excess in everything. And there's some percentage of sports fans who devote too much resources to it, whether that's time or money. And one of the unfortunate things is that becoming a sports fan, especially if you want to go in person, has become very expensive. Um, So, you know, and that I think, you know, the kind of corporatization, I mean, I watch a Yankees game and you see all those empty high price seats behind home plate that, you know, you would think fans would want, but the, you know, whoever has the box seats, they're not there. I think that's a little bit sad, but at the same time, um, you know, you you never hear if, if your hobby was knitting or building model trains, nobody would ever say, oh, isn't that a waste of time? It's sort of something that's a uniquely aimed at sports fans, and um, and I don't I don't think it's fair. I think for the most part, you know, being a sports fan is is a good use of your time. But the disappointment is a really interesting thing because you know, obviously, only one team wins the World Series, only one team wins the Super Bowl, and you would think there would be a whole lot of unhappy sports fans in every sport every season. So I talked to the psychologists about this, and you know, one one told me, you know, sports fans have perfected coping. If they couldn't cope, there'd be no sports fans. <laughs> That's a good point. And that's um, great. But what's really interesting is, is the highs you get are higher than the lows and the disappointments fade. They say time heals all wounds. But if you know, you're a Cubs fan, you're never going to forget winning the world series. And even me as a Mets fan, I don't watch as much baseball anymore as I used to, but I remember 1986 pretty vividly. I can't really remember 1992. Right. There you go. That's absolutely right. Larry Olmstead uh, fans, how watching sports makes us happier, healthier, and more understanding. 
the uh, website, sportsfansbook.com. You could get uh, Larry also on Twitter at travel food guy. And, you know, it's, it's funny because you talk about, is it worth it? That feeling of just winning and coping and whatnot. Um, sports can make you pretty resilient. Don't you think, don't you think you can learn a lot of life lessons from failure and uh, more importantly, I, I'm listening to you talk and there's that old winning and misery. And what's funny for me is, you know, you mentioned not remembering, but I remember sometimes points in my life because of where I was because of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, recently I was talking to Mike Piazza and I said, Mike, you know, one of the things I always remember is when the trade for Mike Piazza happened as a sports fan, I was, you know, interning and I was working out of the Home Depot in Flushing. And I remember getting in my car, driving on the Van Wick, hearing about it. And I can still remember horning to my friend in the car next to me, go, Mets got Mike Piazza. I mean, think about that, about how that has an impact. And and then my wife will say, well, you wouldn't remember some kind of date or something like that. But <laughs> it's funny how how sports has that impact. I don't know if you dived into that or really learned something about it. But think about how those moments, people remember where they were when Tom Seaver was traded. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's amazing how that brings out a certain thing in us that uh, no other event, you know, obviously global events, but sometimes no other personal events would. Yeah, I mean, um, Mark Bowden, who wrote Black Hawk Down, you know, that's what he's most known for. Uh, but he also, he wrote a book uh, called The Greatest Game Ever Played about the first nationally televised game that really made the NFL. And he, you know, compares it to the moon landing, you know, in terms of the impact, um, you know, how many people gather around their TV to watch this kind of newfound event. And yeah, there's, there's definitely moments like that. And you mentioned Piazza, you know, I have a chapter in, in my book about the healing power of sports and a lot about 9-11, you know, and I once worked in a World Trade Center. So I remember this whole story, you know, pretty clearly. But, you know, I talked to fans all around the country who, who remember that game and were rooting for the Mets, you know, because New York needed a win. And it was actually a sports fan in Denver who told me that, yeah, that that game was the moment when she felt it was okay to smile again after 9-11. So, um, you know, and now, as I'm sure you know, the Mets and Yankees are going to be playing on the 20th anniversary of yep. 9-11 this year. So you're going to be seeing a lot of video of Mike Piazza later in 2021, is my guess. Ab- absolutely. And you talk in the book and uh, about it bringing people together, and especially during the time over the last 12 months with so much, you know, unrest in this country. And not having sports, uh, not that it would have changed, it still would have been unrest. And you saw some of the uh, protests and things that bled into sports, but almost like our equilibrium was thrown off on a number of ways. I mean, think about it for 120 days. When was the last time you had nothing from spring training closing till I guess the NBA restarted around the 4th of July, nothing. I mean, obviously it it was a lot of healthy things that came out of it. Uh, As this book was coming out, I'm sure you were doing the finishing touches. Were you thinking about that as you wrote this book? Here you are, that whole thing we had got ripped apart. And it was almost like, you okay, now what? Now, obviously, other more important things were going on in the world. I don't want to diminish that. But, you know, it was amazing how it was the first time where uh, I watched Netflix shows that I never would have thought about watching because the Mets weren't on, the Knicks weren't on and things like that. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah. And I mean, it's sort of a living laboratory for some of the stuff I talk about in the book, except, um, you know, what's really different because because this this you know, traumatic healing power of sports, whether it's 9-11 or the Boston Marathon bombing or Hurricane Katrina, has been going on throughout history. But there's never been an event that was so that was global like this. You know, even 9-11, it didn't stop European soccer, right? Right. So, I mean, this stopped sports everywhere in the world for a prolonged period, which 
is really interesting. And then as it came back, initially, the ratings for most things were through the roof. It kind of, you know, it leveled out as, uh, you know, more sports came back in the NFL. But we were certainly starved for it. A lot of people I interviewed for the book have sent me emails saying, wow, I never watched as much sports as I have in the last year. And, um, and interestingly, you know, one thing that did not end up making it into the book, uh, but that I did a lot of research on, was the number of people who have been engaged uh, at sporting events. You know, you see it on the Jumbotron, Marry Me, right. like this whole like romance side of the sports. And the numbers are really kind of staggering when you look at like o- almost every major league game has, has people being engaged. But since the pandemic, I read about this Phillies fan who had planned to propose to his girlfriend at the game and then, oh, no, no fans allowed. No fans, game. right? So he... He ordered cardboard cutouts of him and his girlfriend, and he's holding a sign saying, will you marry me? And then (laughs) he would it and proposed that way virtually through the cardboard cutout. And I think that's a great pandemic sports story. That is great. And I wonder now with arenas reopening and a little bit, and I think hopefully we're turning the corner. Hopefully there's a lot more better days ahead. I wonder if there's going to be more of an appreciation of going to a ball game. Cause I'll be honest, even as a big sports fan, it got to be a hassle before this, the parking, you mentioned the expense. I mean, with the technology, with our phones, I mean, being able to flick around, use your own refrigerator, use your own facilities. Um, it was almost like, Oh, it's a job. I wonder if having that taken away will have a different impact and you'll see a much more engaged, passionate fan because the criticism has been, Fans are going to the game and they're on their, their iPhones. It's not the same, the stadium environment. I wonder if that'll change a little bit now that it's been taken away. Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar to eating in restaurants or traveling. People are you know, going to come, come back with more passion. But I think there's also going to be more of like a bucket list approach. So it's with people who have been putting something off. I've always wanted to go to a World Series game. I've always wanted to go to the All-Star game. I've always wanted to go to the Super Bowl, the Masters, you know, the Indy 500, any of these kind of things. I think are going to be really big in the next couple of years because, you know, who knows what's coming next? You know, people have learned that they can't wait forever to do things. So I think if there's something that like, you know, a sports fan has wanted to do. Um, I mean, I went to the Kentucky Derby years ago and I was shocked how much I loved it and I wanted to go back. And now I want to go back more because there was nobody at this last one. Larry Olmstead, author of the book fans, a great book. You guys should check it out. Have you, did you see any difference between fans of different sports? Was there any kind of psychological differences? Obviously the tennis fan is going to be different than the baseball fan and the football fan and so on and so forth. I know there's a lot of crossover, um, but I've always felt baseball fans are different, you know, obviously economically, you know, different types of people, but uh, what did you learn, you know, about different fans of different sports, if, if anything? Well, I would say, you know, I mean, the, the average fan is a fan of like 4.5 different teams, usually in different sports, you know, you usually wouldn't be a fan of two baseball teams, say. So most fans, you know, have interest. I think you mentioned tennis. It's, it's the individual sports that are probably like the most unusual. And it, in the most I ever heard when people said, I'm not really a sports fan, I only follow was tennis. If they, mm. if they follow just one thing, it's usually tennis. Like right. if they golf, they probably also watch other sports. Um, but I would say, you know, what, what interested me more is, is the fans regionally, every city, right? Philly has its feel for its fans. Denver has, you know, they're all passionate, but in, in a, it's a different vibe. But what I really noticed was college football is, is probably the most obsessive of any one sport. And I don't really follow it, but, you know, I learned, you know, when I discovered that 
you know, like you go into uh, any college bookstore in America and they have sweatshirts and they have an, a little hologram, right? NCAA logo official. I did not know until I did this book that there were NCAA licensed coffins for like University of Alabama. <laughs> but that's great. And people wow. are buried in them. And that speaks to that level of fandom. It's interesting. I wonder if you look at different parts of the country too. You know, I'm a Northeast guy. I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, I went to St. John's. So I kind of stayed home. I didn't travel. And I, I have friends who went to Penn State or University of Nebraska. And it almost was different. I was a little jealous because I never had that same connection of going to a commuter school. And as a Northeasterner, maybe I was more of a pro sports fan guy. So my pilgrimages were to Madison Square Garden or, you know, going to a tailgate at Shea Stadium. Uh, it's interesting as I hear you talk about college sports, I wonder if it's also not just a college sports situation, but different parts of the country. It's a little bit of a different like Friday night lights. It's, it's amazing. The pilgrimages and how regionally, did you notice the difference regionally? How, you know, we as Northeasterners, I'm in, in, in Long Island now, Northeast, how we look at these, these sports and how we root and how we interact versus, you know, obviously some of those places I mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I would say, the South is probably the richest in terms of that passionate rivalry because there's so many kind of perennial powerhouse schools in football and in basketball that are in adjacent states within a couple of hours of drive, right? So, you know, or in the same state, UNC Duke, it's kind of hard to imagine, you know, how worked up they get over this. And, you know, in a way that you don't, I mean, obviously you have like a Yankees, Red Sox, you have some things, but, you know, I don't feel like it's the same if you, if the Flyers play the Rangers, you know, at the same level of, of regional animosity that they get or passion maybe is, is a better word. But so, but, you know, but college football is big wherever there's a good team, even, you know, Southern California. So I'd say like you grow, I grew up in New York also, and it's probably the most uncollege sports place you could be in the country. And it's interesting as I, always try to look to bring in, you know, writers or other members of the media from other towns. And I'll go on the web and, and here as a Mets fan or a Yankees fan, even Knicks, whatever you look at it, like it's so easy to find whether a guy like me who's more independent media or a beat writer, and then you'll go to Arizona or uh, Houston. And it's like, well, there's one guy we, we take for granted what I do here, having you on and having a, a you know, a, a decent, you know, audience in, in this, this plethora of, of uh, sports that doesn't happen everywhere. And I was amazed because, you know, you've got Mets Twitter and you've got WFAN and all this. And sometimes I think here, here in New York, we may take for granted uh, what we have. Because when I start to go elsewhere, people will go, what? What are you talking about? I got one newspaper. Yeah. That's the guy, you know, it's, it's different. And I don't know if you saw a little bit of that as you were doing this project. Well, I mean, I did have to say, you know, I've traveled all over the world um, in the last 25 years as a journalist and to, you know, less developed countries, to Africa, to Asia. And it's always amazed me how many freaking Yankee hats there are in the world. You know, if, <laughs> sure. if, you, yeah, if you see a, a stall selling stuff on the side of the street pretty much anywhere in the world and they have like one thing from the U.S., it's going to be a Yankees hat. Ah, oh, that's amazing. We got to get some Mets hats over there. <laughs> there you go. Maybe with the uh, the new owner. Uh, a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, you know, you, you mentioned civil rights. You mentioned how uh, sports brings us together. I wonder if the next frontier, you know, obviously civil rights played a big role during the summer, but now there's a big push to include uh, women in sports. Now, it's always been women's sports, male sports. And, and Kim Ning has 
broken the barrier with the Marlins. Um, we've had hitting coaches get hired, female hitting coaches. Do you see that as the next inclusion where fans can start to look past the girls' sports, men's sports, you know, whatever, and start to say, hey, you know, it's sports, you know, going forward? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, the, the, the movement goes back to Billie Jean King and tennis and in equal pay. And that eventually, you know, led in part to Title IX, which, you know, fueled the development of, you know, collegiate level women's sports across the board. But I think the interesting thing there is, you know, it's really it, that has trickled over into the rest of life in terms of this glass ceiling equal pay issue in corporate America, you know, in, in every other job that's been being talked about in sports for a long time. But I think you're right with the coaching and there's there's a lot, you know, going there's yeah. a, in, in every sport. There's this move towards it. And I think, um, you know, it's only a matter of time before you know, there's a, there's, there's a woman's head coach in a, in a significant sport. And, and I don't know, you know, whether that will make, you know, more women tune in, but you know, it's already something like 47, 48% of sports fans are women. So it's not like it's that big a, a gap to close. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know, you, the, I never knew that stat, but it's amazing how many are, it's, it's a stereotype that they're not. And even if they're casual and, and, and it's one thing, as I read your book, um, we could have a lot of differences and, and be annoyed by each other as human beings, whether at work, but, uh, and sometimes sports does that, but throughout the whole book, it's the one thing that politics can't do it, mm-hmm. but sports can. Yeah. And, you know, even Mets fans and Yankees fans, as much as they dislike each other, you know, I had Yankees fans reach out and say, Hey, you know, love the new owner and things like that. You would never see that in politics, never see that in politics. So uh, it's very much, I guess it's one thing. It sounds like you doing this that bring it's as inclusive as it can be for what we are as a very complicated society right now. Yeah. I mean, if there's one word that, you know, it goes to the heart of a lot of the different topics in my book, it would be community. Wow. You know? So, and I, you know, I feel that, you know, that's what fuels the post-traumatic healing. That's what fuels, you know, sports role in uh, international politics. That's what fuels, you know, our happiness as fans. I mean, that's why when we talk about sports in America, we use this word, you know, fill in the blank nation. Yeah, like, You don't hear Harry Potter fan nation or, you know, Star Wars nation, even though they have legitimate fans because- sure. Sports, the sense of community runs so deep. It's like a like a nation unto itself of Mets fans. What would be one thing that you took away and learned that you weren't expecting when you went into this? Every t- every time I bring an author on, I'm like, there's yeah. got to be something that totally got you by surprise. What, if that, what was that one thing? I mean, I think it was that that post traumatic healing we talked about. I knew about nine eleven. Like I said, you know, grew up in New York, worked at World Trade Center, but I viewed that as sort of an isolated incident. It w- I realized it's not. It recurs over and over and not just here, all over the world. If there is a natural disaster, a man-made disaster, you know, whatever it is, sports is going to play a role in helping people get past that. So you grew up a Mets fan. We'll leave on this. Do you engage with Mets Twitter? Do you engage in any of the Mets stuff? What's the one, when you think of the Mets as a fan, it's a fan segment here. What do you think of uh, Larry Olmstead? What does he think of when he thinks of Mets or Mets fans, or there's something that comes to mind? You know, I remember when they used to put those big banners outside of Shea every year with a new slogan, the magic is back. The magic is, That's here, good. The magic is real. And so I'm like, when is the magic? When is it going to The happen? magic is back. You know, there's some corny old school things that really ring true. Banner day, 
guys, I'm 44. And sometimes people look at me and go, Banner Day? What's that? Like, there was some really cool things. It's a different thing. But uh, so, Larry, the book is fans. How, how watching sports makes us happier, healthier, more understanding. Sportsfansbook.com. Anything else you want to let the listeners know about as you go around and talk about this very interesting project that, you know, with fans getting back in the stands is very relevant over the next few months? Yeah, I mean, I just think that when we when we have the opportunity to go to a place like City Field and sit there shoulder to shoulder and it's full and you can high five the person next to you, that will be, you know, we, the light at the end of the tunnel has arrived. That's a great way to end this segment. Larry, that's, I, I can't say enough of that. That's, you know, there's a lot of people who can't wait for the day that we could pack in 70,000 as safely as possible in a, uh, in a stadium. So thanks again, Larry. Be well. You were very generous with your time. Great book. And, and hopefully uh, we could do this again. Okay, my friend. All right. Thanks for having me. And that's Larry Olmstead. How Watching Sports Makes Us Happier, Healthier, More Understanding. The book is Fans. And uh, also, if you're a food guy, he had a great uh, New York Times bestselling book, Real Food, Fake Food. And you can check out Larry on Twitter at travelfoodguy.com. So anyway, um, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue to try to find interesting and different types of segments like this as we uh, make our way towards opening day and try to get through what I call the dog days of spring training. It's nice when you have a good team and uh, there's not too much uh, controversy and things like that, where you can have these kind of segments and enjoy a little bit of looking at what we do here at the Talking Mets podcast in a different way. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, final thoughts. I want to thank uh, Larry Olmstead. I thought that was something interesting. And I promise we'll get back. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to have a writer on from spring training next week. I'm going to work on getting somebody from Port St. Lucie to really check in. I think it's time for us to check in with the guys that have been down there. I know it's a lot different now with Zoom, but we're going to do that. So, yeah, the Mark, you know, the Mark Gold, you know, like kind of a casual, lazy spring training day baseball conversation last week, which went tremendously well. I mean, the feedback, and I'll, I'll thank a few people before we get out of here, uh, was was unbelievably good. And, and, and Mark and Sean, his son, who set it up, great people and so happy to have done that. And I'm glad that he liked it. I'm glad so many of you liked it. And I even saw you tweeted him, you know, our friend, uh, the Medellin Mets fan saying that he wants horseradish out in, down in Colombia. I mean, you know, go at it, man. Get some Gold's horseradish down in Colombia. Maybe Mark could help you out over there. Um, but, you know, thought this would be good because I think the fans and ballparks and fuller ballparks, depending on whose ballpark and how full they are, they could have some impact. You know, not everybody's going to be equal because some ballparks are not going to be able to be full early in the year or maybe not at all we're assuming you know every state's kind of its own little thing and everybody's doing things differently whether it's for real reasons or politics i i you know that's not for me to say um every state's doing their own thing and and i think you're going to see that for a while but thankfully things are looking better and and that's the most important thing and and people are feeling better about 
what's going on in the world, and hopefully sports, like you heard Larry Olmstead say, say, having that in our lives in, a, in as normal of a season as possible, uh, having that baseball every night, listening to Gary Keith and Ron or Wayne Randazzo and Howie Rose or whoever you know you listen to, um, it's just so important because that's what's kind of like the background noise all summer. It's like part of your family, and that was taken away, and then it was kind of jammed in in this awkward, weird way in the late summer while all this other nonsense was going on. And and, and I think it's it's a lot more quieter world. It's not totally quiet, but it's getting quieter. It's, it's, it's stabilizing, and hopefully sports plays a role in that. And you heard Larry Olmstead say that based on his research of this book that it will. So that's good to uh, hear. I want to thank some people. First of all, I want to thank our, our buddy, uh, Peter Williams. Uh, Peter re- emailed me. And I got to tell you, this was the ultimate mea culpa. He just basically said, Mike, I never understood why you said no G. I never understood it. And uh, he finally got it when he tried emailing Talking Mets because he put the G in. That's why I said it. Talking Mets podcast, no G. If I did Talking Mets, it just seems so generic. Obviously, it's a play on Talking Baseball. And it's also a play on maybe my Brooklynese, Long Islandese accent. So I kind of made fun of myself there. So, Peter, I'm glad you finally got it. It took you, what, I don't know how long you've been listening. So maybe one day when we have swag, I could get that going. We'll send you something for, you know, being the ultimate make culpa. Maybe if we ever do no G t-shirts, we'll send Peter the first one. Our buddy Peter Williams, so thanks a lot. Our friend Jeff Cohen always has nice things to say. Really enjoyed talking Mets with Mark Gold. Um, Charles Bryant, first time uh, listening, you know, first time emailing the show. I shouldn't say listening. And he wrote, Dear Mike, just want to let you know that the, the Mark Gold podcast was fantastic. The stories Mark told reminded me of why I love baseball. I'm 39 years old, and even though I'm from a different era than Mark, it reminded me how similar so many of us are as baseball fans. And he goes on to specific moments. And look, uh, I'll talk about this maybe later in the spring or, or some part of the season. This actual studio that I broadcast from, I've been re, kind of redecorating, getting all sorts of memorabilia, some great pieces uh, not all of it's costing me a lot using eBay, Etsy, places like that. And um, it's kind of like, you know, there are players that I wanted to get memorabilia of that I just like because it was a lot. Of, I'm about big moments as well. But there are some players that I liked that had big seasons that I think matter. Like uh, John Olerud. I love John Olerud. And I have a nice little, I personally got it autographed at the Roosevelt Field Mall back in 1998 uh, when he was there with Bobby Jones. And uh, I have that John Olerud. It's been hanging up on various offices I've had over the last, well, now you're talking like 22 years. So, uh, you know, John Olerud may not be a Hall of Famer, and he may have bounced out of the, the Mets' good times a little early, but it's important to me. And there's so much other stuff, and at some point I'll probably maybe share some photos on Twitter if you guys care, just because I think there's some nice things that people are offering that um, would be good for you too, you know, so... We'll do that as well. Um, what else before we wrap up here? Icon for Life on uh, Apple Podcast. He wrote, if you're looking for Mets Talk, this is the podcast. Stumbled upon it since spring training is here and keeps me entertained and love the takeaways. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Icon for Life. So, look, continue to go to the podcast uh, you know, site, talkingmetspodcast.com, no G. And if you could go to Apple Podcast and leave a review, that's great. 
five stars, four stars, three stars, one star. I appreciate you taking time. Why wouldn't it be five stars? I mean, come on, guys. Why wouldn't it be? If you could go to Manscaped and go buy something, put in Talking Mets, no G, all one word, get your discount, I'd appreciate supporting and patronizing, as you've heard throughout the program, our sponsor for spring training. We'll see if they want to stick on with us throughout the regular season. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that all goes. Um, so that's it. I uh, hope you enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. We're kind of in that part of spring training where there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And we can see opening day. And we're almost there. And it's been a long, cold winter. It's been a wacky and wild off season. It's slowed down. and It's kind of gotten a little calmer here in spring training. And it's been nice that we're talking baseball. We kind of get away from some of the other garbage and nonsense i want to thank larry olmstead for joining me today of course you could check me out all the time at mike silver media on twitter and also at the talkingmetspodcast.com like i said send me a tweet at mike silver media and you get the show on apple podcast spotify pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire if you want to interact with me listen closely peter williams mike silver at talkingmetspodcast.com no g mike silver at talkingmetspodcast.com i'm kidding pete i'm kidding I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'll be back with another podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.